Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. This is page 832 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. We'll also have the, the words on the screen here. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is God's word. You may be seated. Lord, I pray as we look to your word this morning that you would give us understanding. Knowing, Lord, that this word comes from you by your spirit. We ask for your spirit's help and understanding. Yes, this in Christ's name, amen. Well, way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he told us something about what he was doing, something that we should not forget. So this would have been a while ago for us as we've studied Matthew's gospel, but back in the first sermon that Jesus preached, Matthew chapter 5, I want to read this for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, or 19 rather. Jesus says this. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus said those things for us, for his disciples, and when Matthew included that teaching in his gospel, we need to understand that that teaching there in Matthew 5 became the framework through which we would understand the rest of Jesus' ministry. He came to fulfill, he said, fulfill the law and the prophets. And when we say law, we don't just mean the commands of the Old Testament, but the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Those are commonly called the law. And the prophets is a stand-in for the rest of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying he came to fulfill the Scriptures. What we just sang, isn't it? And he even uses that word accomplish. He came to accomplish these things. That's extremely important. That's why he came. It's not a side mission. It's not a way of understanding Jesus' mission or his ministry. That is Jesus' mission. So, so as we read about Jesus' life and his ministry, we are supposed to be asking especially as we read Matthew, how does this fulfill the law and the prophets? He just said it, everything he did would, so how does it? Everything he says, everything he does in some way or another is fulfillment. It is accomplishing what God has sent him to accomplish. Jesus is the living 
breathing, walking incarnation of the faithfulness of God. Our job, as we read Matthew, is to look for that. And you've seen that as we've studied Matthew, hasn't you? We've been looking for this, these fulfillments. Sometimes it's kind of tricky because me, I, I'm not as, as familiar with, with the Old Testament as Matthew's original readers would have been. And, and from hearing from some of you, it's the same for you. So, so like last week, uh, as we were looking at the, that passage about Judas uh, and the betrayal, I had not known that the bread sharing reference, he who I dipped in you know, the, the bread and the bowl, I had not known that that was from Psalm 41. I did not grow up memorizing the Psalms. The, the 30 pieces of silver that we saw the week before, I had not known that that was from Zechariah chapter 11. That was new to me. And yet those references tell us more about how Jesus is fulfilling, accomplishing, completing what began in the Law and the Prophets, right? Well, this morning, we're going to see more of that. We're going to examine how Jesus is fulfilling the Law and the Prophets as he observes this Passover meal with his disciples. Some of it will be very much on the surface for us. We're, we're, we're already familiar with a lot of these elements that are being fulfilled in the Passover meal, but some of this will be new for us. But here's my goal. My hope is that by the end of this morning, by the end of the sermon, you will better appreciate what we call the Lord's Supper as a result of better understanding how Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. And you will better understand and better appreciate and hopefully better glorify Christ by knowing what he came to accomplish. Okay, so that's our goal this morning. Our text is, is a continuation of where we were last week. So we're still in that upper room where Jesus and disciples are eating the Passover meal together. This is, like I said, scene two from that meal. One, one quick observation as we move from last week's passage to this week's passage. As far as we know, everyone who started that meal with Jesus that Passover meal, is still in the room with him. So last week, or at the beginning of the meal, you have that, that warning about betrayal, and the disciples say, is it me, Lord? And, and Judas says, is it me, Rabbi? And then they, they continue on with the meal. Nobody leaves. Judas doesn't leave. He continues to participate in the Passover meal. After all, he's Jewish, and it's Passover. We need to remember that as we watch what's happening here. From the perspective of the disciples who were there in the text, in history, they're eating the Passover meal. This to them is not yet what we call the Lord's Supper. As the church was established on Pentecost and began to observe and celebrate and continue Christ's work, and as the church understood what was happening that night, how Christ was fulfilling the scriptures, that meal would later become what is called the Lord's Supper. But from their perspective, then, they're eating a meal that is simply the Passover. So that question, and you may or may not have this question, I, I do, of whether or not non-Christians should participate in the Lord's Supper, since Judas participated in this meal. Right? Have you ever heard that argument before? Well, Judas ate with them, therefore non-Christians should eat the Lord's Supper. We can't really look 
what's happening here in our text to answer that question. That's more of a question for Paul later on, 1 Corinthians. On the other side of the cross. Always remember, this is a little side note, always remember when you study scripture, you have to ask, where am I in redemptive history here? You have to find that, that you are here map to know the right direction to go to to get to your destination. All right, So, so we can't just place everything contemporary with us. This is the Jewish Passover, and, and, and at this Jewish Passover meal, there, there would normally be a head of the table who leads the meal. He reminds others of, of what happened on that first Passover. There was a sort of tradition that had developed over time in, in, in Jewish history, and, and they would observe the Passover, and they would eat the bread and the lamb and the bitter herbs, and they would drink the wine, and, and there would be someone who would walk them through all of that. And this meal, here in Matthew 26, that's Jesus. He's, he's the teacher. He's the head of the table, the, the father figure for them. He's the one that at this Passover will teach them about God's faithfulness to his people, and they'll, they'll remember what God did in bringing his people out of Israel. But here's what we're going to see in this Passover. Jesus breaks with that tradition. He doesn't do the meal the way that the disciples would have been used to. He doesn't say the things that they have been accustomed to hearing when they enjoy the Passover meal. And we see this break with tradition right away in verse 26. So we're going to go verse by verse. Uh, and, and I guess the format this morning is we're kind of going on a kind of a mystery tour. Um, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. So here we are, we're at verse 26. Jesus is breaking with, with the tradition. He says, uh, Matthew says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, like I said, no one ever said that at Passover meals. They broke bread, yes. They blessed it, yes. They, they would have been instructed to eat the bread, yes. But no one would have ever said, eating that bread, that unleavened bread on Passover, take, eat, this is my body. It was new. You can imagine the disciples, they're, they're eating the meal. Kind of put yourself in their place. We do this sometimes, right? Put yourself in, the, in their place. They're already a little bit on edge because of that, that whole betrayal thing from just a moment ago. It's been a long day. They're hungry. They're stressed because of the things Jesus is saying is about to happen. But, but they're looking forward to the, to the comfort of this special meal. They're celebrating this, this familiar meal. It's something they're used to, right? It's Passover. They've done it every year since they were babies. They've, they've dipped their bread in the oil in the sauce bowl. They're, they're, those are flavors that, that they recognize. So we have Thanksgiving coming up, right? You have the, the, you, can, you can kind of taste, you can imagine the taste of the stuffing and the mashed potatoes the way that your grandma makes it, or the, the sweet potatoes, however your family does it, or the smoked turkey. It's a, it's a taste that your memory knows. It's comforting. And that's the mindset that they have is they take a familiar holiday meal. They're bringing the bread to their mouth, just savoring it, and Jesus says, this is my body. And you can, you can almost hear the, this, this collective sigh. Right? 
They stop what they're doing. They look at Jesus. They look at the bread. Look back at Jesus. They look at one another. Somebody shrugs. I don't know. Why didn't he just say what you're supposed to say when you eat the bread? Why can't we just do Passover like every other normal Jew? Why did Jesus say, this is my body? And that question will be our journey this morning, okay? Jesus is doing something shocking and new here. He's teaching his disciples something new this Passover, something that the early church, being taught by these same apostles, would have later understood. But we don't quite understand what's happening here. We don't talk about this very much. We usually just go through the ritual of the Lord's Supper. But something special is happening here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do some Bible work to sort it out. Why did Jesus say, this is my body? To answer that, we're going to start with what we know. All right, that's a good, good place to begin. to begin. We know this. Jesus told us at the beginning of chapter 26, that he was going to be given over and killed on Passover, right? And when we've talked about the reason Jesus was doing this, the reason God ordained the death of Christ to happen on Passover was to show us that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He's the Passover lamb. He's the one who dies as a substitute for his people to save them from death. God could have chosen any number of Jewish holidays for Jesus to be crucified on. He could have chosen the Day of Atonement, for instance, because he atones for our sins. He could have chosen the Feast of Tabernacles because he tabernacled among us, as as John says. He could have even just chosen a day that wasn't a holiday at all. If Christ had, had died on some random day on the calendar, his death would have been just as effective for us. But God didn't choose another holiday, and he didn't choose a random day. God chose, in his wisdom and providence, the Passover meal. Because Passover was the night that God passed over Israel's sin and preserved their life, and Passover was the meal of looking forward to Israel's exodus, their redemption from Egypt. And God passing over our sin, and God redeeming us from our slavery to sin, both come through Christ our Passover lamb. So in a very real sense, by offering his son on Passover, the Passover is being completed. It's being fulfilled. God is is meeting that promise that he made on Passover, that full redemption would one day come. But, and we see even in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul calls Jesus the Passover lamb. So it's right to understand Jesus in this way, but there's a problem. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's no lamb anywhere in this text, is there? In fact, Matthew brings up sheep a few times in his gospel, but Matthew doesn't mention lamb anywhere or any lambs anywhere in the entire gospel of Matthew. What's most striking to me about this meal is that Jesus didn't take the lamb in the Passover meal and say, this is my body. He didn't say that, did he? You would expect that, but he didn't say that. He he, he took the bread and said, this is my body. In what way is the bread Jesus' body? 
we're going to see what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, we have to understand this bread. All right, so next step, go from what we're familiar with to the next verse. So let's see if the next verse helps us out. Matthew 26, verse 27, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. Well, that's a little more normal for Passover. Traditional Passover meal included drinking four cups of wine, all of them reminders of God's faithfulness to his promises. We talked about that last week. But we can't stop there. We're mid-sentence. We have to go to the rest of what Jesus says. Verse 28, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood. Oh, okay, here we go again. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of you for the forgiveness of sins. Now, nowhere in the Passover tradition is the wine representative of blood. So all verse 28 does for us, as we're trying to understand what's going on, is confirm for us again, Jesus is doing something new here. Jesus is somehow reinterpreting that entire Passover meal in light of himself. He's the bread and he's the wine. We know because of Matthew 5, like we said at the beginning, he's got to be showing us fulfillment somehow. Jesus is, is showing that he's fulfilling the scriptures. So what's going on? Well, when Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, that would have rung a bell for his disciples. And for those of you who are listening in the scripture reading that, that John did for us, it might have rung a bell for you. Matthew's original readers would have heard that, this is my blood of the covenant, and thought, that sounds like Exodus. They wouldn't have said Exodus 24 because it didn't have a number yet. But they would have said, that sounds like Exodus. The origin of this blood and covenant coming together is in Exodus chapter 24. I don't know if you remember, but, but last week I said that the Passover was not the founding of God's covenant between him and Israel. The Passover was, God, was when God made it a, a distinction between Israel and Egypt. He was setting apart Israel for his redemption. There's no covenant at Passover. The covenant between God and Israel happens at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. So in Exodus 24, God has already given the law to Moses. Moses comes down the mountain to write it all down. He's going to write down the book of the covenant, and he's going to give the law to the people. And he sets up 12 altars, each altar representing one of the tribes of Israel. And there are all of these sacrifices made on each of the altars. Do you remember that when John read it for us? So you've got all the blood, you have the dead oxen, the sacrificial peace offerings. Then Exodus 24, 7 says this. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. So here's the covenant being read in all that the Lord, they say all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. That is the covenant agreement. That's it. That's the moment. This is like the wedding vows between God and Israel. God has given his conditions and his promises for this relationship, and Israel agrees to those conditions and looks forward to seeing those promises fulfilled. And then you have verse 8, very next verse. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, here it is, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And that seals the deal. God has set apart his people at Passover 
He's, re- he's redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, and now because of this covenant, they, they have become his people, and he's their God. And that covenant has been secured how? By blood. Very similar to what Jesus says. Jesus takes the cup, and we give given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Come back to that in a moment. What happens next in Exodus is really the climax of this event. I want us to stay in Exodus 24. So Exodus 24, 9, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, so you've got people representing each of the 12 tribes, they go up and they saw the God of Israel. That's a really big deal. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. He did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. What's happening here? These representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel have gone up into the very presence of God. Heaven itself. God's dwelling place has somehow been opened up to them. And what normally would happen if a sinful man goes into the presence of God is he would be slain. He would be smitten immediately, right? By by the holiness and the glory of God. But, But Exodus says God did not do that. God did not kill these men. God did not lay his hand on these elders because he's at peace with them. Remember, they have a covenant. He's now their God. They're his covenant people. They're they're the beneficiaries of his his mercy, of his love. And most importantly, they've gone into his presence, and what has just happened? They've had blood sprinkled on them. Their sin has been atoned for. Remember all of those oxen that were killed down there, the bottom of the mountain, on the 12 altars, Blood poured into the basins and blood sprinkled on them by by Moses. That was an atonement for sins. It purified them. The the blood on the altar and the blood on those men who are in God's presence is what has purified them and made atonement for them. And that's why God doesn't destroy them. They are ceremonially clean to be in the presence of God. And what do they do there? This is the best part. What do they do in that heaven-on-earth setting? They beheld God and ate and drank. You have the 12 tribes of Israel entering into covenant with God, and the representatives of those tribes are eating a meal with God in his presence. This is perhaps the most important meal in Israel's history. And, And what we need to see is that Jesus is combining that meal, that covenant meal of God's people in his presence, he's combining that meal with the Passover meal that he's sharing with his disciples. When Jesus echoes that blood and covenant language, he's bringing to mind Israel's covenant meal with God. Combining the meals. And by bringing those together, he's saying this, he's saying A new Passover, the true Passover, is about to happen. That old Passover was only a shadow. Right, the Hebrews? Shadow. 
That old Passover was only a shadow of what is about to take place at the cross. In the old Passover, Israel was redeemed from Egypt. In the new Passover, God's people are redeemed from sin and death, what Zechariah calls the waterless pit. Zechariah 9.11, as for you, because of the, here it is, the blood of my covenant with you, I will, future, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So there's a new redemption coming. There's, there's a new covenant coming in the future from Zechariah. And Jesus says, now. The new and better Passover is here. And with the new and better Passover comes the new and better covenant, the covenant of forgiveness for sins. Seeing what Jesus is doing? We get so used to this passage when we read it. Because we read it whenever we take the Lord's Supper, and we don't take time to think about it. But what we're seeing here is what we sang. Jesus is the new and better Moses. He's leading his people through a new and better redemption. And he's mediating the new and better covenant. The blood that was sprinkled in Israel to atone for them as they became God's covenant people and went into his presence, that sacrifice is fulfilled. It's it's made complete. It's made better in Christ's own blood. That's why he says, this is my blood of the covenant. His blood, Jesus' blood, will be the blood that atones for the sins of the new covenant people. His blood will be what secures them in the presence of God forever. Those men went up and on that mountain and then they came back down. But, but Christ's blood secures us in God's presence forever. Jesus' atoning work is more sure, it's more cleansing, it's, it's more perfect than the blood that was sprinkled on Israel at Sinai. And here's the thing, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. God had always promised that that new covenant was coming. We saw it in Zechariah. We see it in Jeremiah 31 as well. God had said, I will make a new covenant, and he will cleanse his people. He will forgive their sins and bring them back into his presence again after they had failed to keep the old covenant. Look at Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So all 12 tribes, right? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Here it is, future declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God, they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This cleansing, this atoning work that brought about the new covenant of forgiveness of sins, the blood for this covenant, that was Jesus' blood. 
Jesus' blood. God's own blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here it is again. Jesus is retelling the story. He's telling Israel's story from Passover to covenant, from Passover in Egypt to covenant in Mount Sinai, and saying all of that, all of the Exodus, fulfilled in him. And it all points forward to something greater that is about to happen. That, that explains the blood and the covenant language, doesn't it? But why does Jesus say they have to drink it? So think about that. There's another question for you. If, if, if the wine is blood, well, when they had that covenant ceremony, the blood was sprinkled on them. So why don't, why don't, we, why don't I throw wine on you? When we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Couldn't have Jesus have, have splashed it on his disciples? Well, though it is representative of Christ's blood, it's still wine. Okay? Yes. Still wine. And, and, and at the Passover meal, Israel drank wine. And why did they do that? To remember God's faithfulness to his promises and to look forward to the redemption that was coming very quickly. And remember, on the first Passover, they were going to be redeemed that very next day. And on this last Passover, the fulfillment of the Passover, Jesus is teaching that redemption, true redemption, is coming within the day. He's going to the cross in a matter of hours from from this moment. So we drink the cup because God was faithful to fulfill the Passover promise. So it is a type of Passover meal for us. We drink it remembering God's faithfulness. And at the covenant meal, so remember it's two meals together, the Passover meal and the covenant meal. At the covenant meal, God's people drank wine with God in his presence. They were communing with God, participating with God in that meal. So the wine is consumed. Though it is representative of Christ's blood, it is consumed. It's not splashed or sprinkled. It's still wine of communion with God, and it's made possible by the blood of Christ. So that's the wine, and there is, there is so much more we could say about that, but we still haven't figured out the bread, have we? Like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. How is the bread the body of Christ? What's happening here? Well, to answer that, we have to keep going in Exodus. What happened after that first covenant meal in Exodus is important in Israel's history. God had set apart his people at Passover, he purified them in that covenant ceremony with the blood, and he brought them into his presence, and they shared a meal together. That's the Exodus all the way to chapter 24. Now, what happens next is that as a result of that covenant with his people, God said, I'm going to dwell with you. All right? So they're enjoying a meal with God, and God tells Moses, I'm going to dwell with my people. And this is really special. This is like going back to the Garden of Eden. God's going to be with his people. He's going to dwell with them. So after the meal, Moses goes, everybody comes down. Moses goes back up the mountain with God. He's there with God for 40 days and nights. And while Moses is there with God, God tells him that all the people of Israel are going to contribute. And they're going to provide materials to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary, the place where God is going to be present with his people. So God's command to Moses 
Exodus 25.8 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And you keep reading Exodus 25. God tells Moses how to build the sanctuary, how big it should be. He tells him about the, the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that Book of the Covenant? That's there in the Ark of the Covenant. He tells them how to build that and where it should be in this tabernacle. And there's a mercy seat on top of the ark. And that's where God will meet with the high priest when he goes into that most holy place. And in front of the ark of the covenant, in the next room called the holy place, there's a table. It's a dinner table. A really nice dinner table. And it's made of acacia wood and it's, it's coated with, with gold. And there are gold flagons for the wine. Kings don't drink from cups. They drink from flagons. And there, there's golden bowls and there's golden plates. This is God's dinner table. And it's representative of that table where Israel ate the covenant meal with God. Stay with me. It's getting kind of deep, isn't it? But that's that table in the tabernacle, really important piece of furniture. This is one of the three most important pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. So you have the Ark of the Covenant, you have the lampstand, and God's dinner table. And we see those pieces of furniture repeated throughout the scriptures. But then God tells Moses the most important part of his dinner table. Not that it's gold. It's not that it's really fancy. The most important part of this table we find in verse 30. Exodus 25, verse 30. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. This bread was the only actual food that was to go on God's dinner table. Wine sometimes filled the flagon and the bowls, but, but no food would ever be set on the table besides this bread. So if anybody in Israel, mostly just the priests, if anybody was going to have a meal with God in his house, that meal was going to be bread and wine. And here's the thing. This bread was always, always, always there. No matter when or where the tabernacle was packed up and moved as they followed God in the promised land, that the bread of the presence was always there touching the table. And there were specific instructions on how to do that. And that bread was replaced every Sabbath day because it was to be a fresh reminder, a renewal of God's covenant meal with his people every week. Every Sabbath. That bread was representative of God's communion with Israel. His presence with his people. His dwelling with his people. Whenever the priests ate the bread, you know what they were doing? They were commemorating the covenant meal they had in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. And don't forget, how were they able to go into God's presence? Because of the blood of the covenant. So eating the bread with God was made possible by the blood that was shed for them and sprinkled on them. Okay? So, so, so when Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, he wasn't just saying that the unleavened Passover bread was his body, though that's partly true. It partly was. He is the bread that is free of malice and evil he is, he is the bread of pure sincerity and, and pure truth. But that's not all that's happening. 
We already know, remember, Jesus is combining the Passover meal with the covenant meal, right? We saw that when we said that the wine is his blood of the covenant. The bread then is the bread. It's like the bread that the leaders of Israel ate in God's presence on Mount Sinai. It is the bread of the presence. Jesus is the bread that represents God's presence with his people. He's saying he is the bread of the presence of God. See what he's doing? He's retelling the Passover through the covenant ceremony at Mount Sinai. He's creating this new community, this new covenant community. By sanctifying his people in his own blood, by his own blood. And he brings them, he brings us, he brings us into the presence of God by atoning for our sin. And by saying that he is the bread, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the presence of God with you. I am the face of God before you. And you are invited into fellowship with God through me. How does that happen? What makes all of that possible for us? The death of blood, the, the, the death of oxen and rams and goats? No. The death of Jesus. Jesus' death. That's why later on, when we say whenever we eat this bread, drink this wine, we proclaim Jesus' death. It's through Jesus' death for the church that the wrath of God toward our sin passes over us. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the substitute who dies on our behalf and he sets us apart from a world that is under the wrath of God. And because of his death, his blood is the blood of the covenant. The old covenant? No, new covenant. The covenant of forgiveness of sins. And he atones for our sins so that we can be purified and brought into God's presence. And in this covenant, God makes us his people, and he's our God, and in his law is written on our hearts by the Spirit. And so when we walk according to the Spirit, we're walking with God, we're walking in obedience to God. And not only is Jesus the one who has cleansed us and brought us into the presence of God through his death, he's not just the blood, he's also the bread, the very sign of the presence of God. So when, so when we drink the wine and when we eat the bread, we are the new Israel, enjoying a meal in the presence of God. But we're not on Mount Sinai. We're in the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 12. But you've come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So brothers and sisters, when we share in the supper that Jesus began in that last Passover, we are participating in communion with God. That's why it's called communion. 
The meal that we enjoy with God is not a result of the blood of oxen sprinkled on us and the law that God has given to us to obey. What we have is a result of the grace of God. Jesus given for us. God with us. So the last verse in our passage now makes a little more sense. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying goodbye. The the one who says he is the bread of the presence, going to die, be buried, raised up, then send into the presence of God, But built into these last words of Jesus is the promise that he will drink with us again. And when we share that meal with Jesus, the one that we look forward to, the one that we sang about earlier, when we we share that meal with Jesus, we will, like Israel, celebrating the Passover drink, we, we will celebrate this new Passover. And we will look back and see all of God's faithfulness through the ages. With Jesus, we will look back at the cross with him. We will look back at the tomb with him and the resurrection and the ascension. With Jesus, when we enjoy that the new, when we drink the Passover meal new with him, we will look back to his sending of the Spirit and his presence with us through the Spirit even to today. And on on that day, we will look back and marvel at how He preserved us. We will see where we were going astray, He was straightening us. And and we will look and we'll see how He preserved the church. He, He preserved the church through persecution and through false teaching and through trials and through scandals. And we we will... Drink with Jesus to the faithfulness of God as as we enjoy his Father's kingdom with him. But until that day, that's not here yet, until that day we will, by the Spirit, enter into the presence of God together as the, the gathered people of God, the temple of God, And every time that we enjoy the Lord's Supper, we will remember Jesus has brought us into the presence of God by his blood. We will remember his death and the wonder of all that he's fulfilled and accomplished. And we'll look forward to the day that we'll look back until he comes. Amen? Until he comes. So let's share in the table together this morning.